So, mo- most of you, well, if you were here last week, you knew I wasn't feeling well. Um, feel much better today. But uh, in our prayer time with the elders this morning, I, I learned that, uh, how do I say this? Some of you liked my sermon more last week than previous weeks, and you attributed it to Sudafed. I have you know, I don't believe that I had any Sudafed, so there you go. I think it's 1 Corinthians. I think it's um, obviously God's spirit, God's word, but 1 Corinthians is a, a really appropriate book for um, not only our church, but uh, the church in America today. I think it's very appropriate, I think it's very applicable, and I think it's going to get even more interesting as we move through the rest of the letter. I know the world uh, throws around the world authenticity a lot, so much so that I'm not sure that we're aware of what we're talking about anymore. But I do believe it's true uh, that many people, both inside the church and outside the church, they're looking for something that is real, something that is substantial, something that is meaningful. And I think a better word from a Christian perspective is integrity. Because integrity is a soundness and consistency about what we say we believe and then how we actually live out what we say we believe. For us as Christians, For us, particularly here at Redeemer, it it starts right here uh, in our own community. Our passage this morning, Paul seems to be a little bit agitated, um, quite frankly, because he he really can't believe what's going on in in the church at Corinth. The, The Corinthians, they are hurting one another. They're hurting their brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, the family of God. And uh, they're opening up the gospel to ridicule. To a watching world. So we're going to read our passage this morning, and we're going to talk about um, really three things. There, there is a rebuke that he's giving the Corinthians. It's a rebuke about his, the, their relationships with one another in the church. Uh, there's a radical solution that he provides that um, if we really pay attention to it, it is very radical. And then lastly, there's an important uh, warning, an important reminder. We're going to talk about those three things. So if you will, open up your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 6. If you don't have your Bibles there, it's printed for you in uh, the order of worship. Let me read God's word for us this morning. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? 
but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called us together this morning to be reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, to be blessed um, by not only one another, but to be blessed by you. We ask your work now in our hearts and in our minds. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Hmm. I'm sorry. Paul is addressing the report that some of the Corinthian Christians, they are pursuing legal actions against other members in the church. They're suing one another. They're civil cases, ordinary life activities, now, probably having to do with uh, property, maybe, maybe some financial things. Um, but more importantly and more likely, Uh, is um, because they lived in a shame and honor world. Ben Witherington has a a commentary, Conflict and Community in Corinth. He believes that uh, the primary thing that they were suing one another about was reputation, their name. Uh, they, They felt like they were done wrong by something that somebody said or something that somebody did. We, we really don't have that much information, but I want to address something up front. Otherwise, otherwise you're, you're going to miss the point, okay? This passage that we're reading, it's not intended to give you specifics on when, why, or how we should sue someone in our world today or when, how, and why we go to court in our world today. It's, it's not addressing folks who may have suffered through a divorce. They would have done something different in that world. Many of you will have all sorts of things running through your minds about things that you've heard about or, or things that may have happened to you or things that you may have done. They will distract you from the main point this morning. And the main point is this. When the Corinthians were taking people to court in that world around 55 AD, in their particular context, in their particular world, what they were doing was making a primary declaration of their allegiance. And it wasn't to Jesus Christ and the community that Christ had established through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. They were saying, my name, or what other people think of me, or or maybe their finances, but, but primarily what other people would think of them is the most important thing in the world. And what happened when, when they put that at the forefront of their lives, it hurt the other people in the church, and it brought, brought disrepute to the gospel. Positively stated, the main point is this. Christians are to prefigure the coming kingdom of God. We, in our relationship, in the church and in the world, we are to prefigure the coming kingdom of God. Think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure, the peacemaker. We're to prefigure that, not the, the kingdom of the world where the rich and the proud and the powerful, the important people, and Paul calls them the unrighteous here, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Christians are supposed to live differently with one another with different values than the world. And Paul is upset because they weren't. If we understand Paul's primary main point, then we will be able to better discern when we can and when we can't go to court, when we should or when we shouldn't. But I primarily want us to think about reputation, name, what other people think of us. That's the idea that we need to grab hold of this morning. So I don't, I don't know. My, my wife warned me about using this illustration, but I, it's, it's great, okay? So honey, forgive me. I don't know how many of you have seen the 19... I mean, how can it be? It's 1962 movie, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? If you guys seen... I, I know, you're watching all these other movies. I think you're missing out. Gregory Peck, To Kill a Mockingbird. Have you... Give me some visual... Okay, good. Few of you have seen it. The beginning of the movie, there's a dinner scene. You remember you got Atticus the dad, you got the little boy, I can't remember the little boy's name, and you got Scout, the little girl. Scout, of course, is, is my favorite. And they had this little boy over from outside the family that wasn't as blessed and wasn't as, as privileged. They had him over for dinner. His name is uh, Walter Cunningham. And uh, Walter Cunningham is not used to a really good meal. And I'm not sure, they had a, a, a jar of syrup on the table. I'm, I'm, it wasn't a pancake dinner, so I don't know why they had a jar of syrup, but there was a jar of syrup there. And um, Scout's watching Walter eat, and Walter is at the table, and he's just pouring syrup all over his plate. I mean, just all over everything. And Scout is watching in disbelief, and she yells out, <laughs> this is what she don't want me to say. I just don't think it's that bad. What in the Sam Hill are you doing, Walter Cunningham? And Atticus, her father, interrupts her, says, Scout, stop. And then Scout responds. She says, but Atticus, he's done drowned his dinner in syrup, and now he's pouring it all over. He's making a mess of everything. You see, Walter Cunningham knows how good syrup is. He just doesn't know what to do with it. We know how good the gospel is. I assume that's why you've come in here this morning. That doesn't mean we know what to do with it. Or at least sometimes we forget. That's what the Corinthians are doing here. They're pouring syrup all over their dinner plate and they are making a mess. Paul has to rebuke them. He's astounded. He can't believe that those have been gifted with the, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They have been gifted with the grace of wisdom and knowledge. So how can they be so quick to turn to others outside the community of God when it comes to settling everyday arguments and disagreements between believers? And Paul distinguishes between two groups of people, and we have to get this right here. He calls the group in the church the saints, and those outside the church the unrighteous. It's another way of saying the community of God and those that don't understand the community of God, those who understand the gospel and those who don't. And it's simply wrong for those who are saints, 
those who have been set apart by God's grace to try and solve disputes in front of unbelievers with worldly ways and worldly values because unbelievers and believers are supposed to have a different understanding of the way life works. For Paul, and therefore for us, the church is supposed to operate differently from the world because knowing Christ has deep consequences in the way we approach life and the way we live life. Look at verses two and three. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to deal with the daily issues of life among you? That's the trivial cases. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? It's a reference to what's going to happen in the future, what is certain in the future for Christians. Those in Christ share the eternal destiny with him. Our future, you need to hear that. Our future is certain no matter what happens to us today. Our name is secure. Today, we share with Jesus Christ the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Even as Paul said, Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. We've been transferred from the rulers and powers of this world into the kingdom of God. And we proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God as we live it out today with one another. Paul says, you, you should be able to handle earthly matters because we have all that Christ has. He is our king. He is our ruler. He is our judge. Look at verse four. Why do you bring these problems in front of unbelievers? They have no standing. It, it's not like you got a bad group of people and a good group of people. You have a people that, that have been touched by God's grace and mercy and kindness and by, by the, the power of God himself and God himself alone, he's done something miraculous in the lives of the people in Corinth. Why, why would you expect them to understand who you are? Verse five, I say this to your shame. It's like Jesus didn't come. Then in verse six, brother against brother, the family of God. When, we have to take this seriously. and Because and I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there reading the words of the songs that we've sung this morning and my question to myself, my question to you, is do we really believe it? The Corinthians should be ashamed because they are evaluating one another's worth they are treating one another like the world treats people. How does the world treat people? Uh, commodities, tools, nuisances, problems. That's not what brothers and sisters in Christ are all about. Our interactions with one another declare what is most important to us. Do you understand that? The way we deal and talk about and with and the way we serve and the way we love, those interactions that we have with one another it declares what's most important to us. You can start in the home. How do you treat your spouse? You can start with children. Children, how do you treat your parents? Parents, how do you treat your children? How do you treat your neighbors? The way we interact and the way we think about other people 
helps us understand what's most important to us. And the question is, what or who are we loyal to? Is it Christ and therefore to one another? Or is it been tainted by what the world thinks? Paul is saying in these first few verses here, we are not participants in the normal social economic structures of the world. We are participants in God's kingdom and we are to live like our future is already here. And I think it takes intentional conscious decisions to not think and talk and act like the world because the world is pushing in on us and before we know it, we've absorbed some of its priorities, we've absorbed its values and we're talking to one another like they talk out there. Culture is making a bigger impact on the Corinthians than they think and I would have to acknowledge the culture is probably making a bigger impact on us than we would like to think, which leads to Paul's radical solution. It's the second point. Look at verses seven and eight. And, I, and he's not, um, I mean, he's really saying this. So don't, oh, he doesn't mean this. He means this, okay? Seven and eight. First of all, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. In, in other words, okay, let's use it this way as, as an example. If you were to have a problem with somebody in the church, another fellow Christian, and you were to go out into some work environment or some, some other environment where you don't know whether or not they're Christian, and I, I realize it's, it's different now, right? The Corinthians, there was a real clear line about who was a Christian and who wasn't a Christian. It was easy to see. It's a little bit harder now, which, which I think um, is problematic in many ways, in many ways. But, but, but what he's saying is, how can you go out into the world and talk bad about your brother or sister in Christ? How can you go out into the world and say, oh yeah, that's just the way he is? So to have lawsuits already is a defeat. And then he says this, here's the radical solution. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves now are wronging and defrauding by what you are doing, even your own brothers. It's clear they're hurting one another. They're wrong. They're defrauding other people. You realize a case can be made that a majority in the church, yes, they were poor, lower class folks. They weren't the cool, acceptable type in, in, in the church in Corinth. But there's also some, some very rich and powerful and influential people in the church. And it is probably likely that those who are influential, those who are rich, those who are powerful, they're hurting the weaker folks, the less esteemed folks. And I realize that in our world today, forms of acceptable and unacceptable may be different, but we know what we're talking about. There are people that we think have it all together according to world, the world standards. And there are other people that we don't think have it all together. And they're treating each other poorly. So you know what Paul says? I mean, this is, I, I don't know how we don't all repent right now, to include your pastor. It's better to suffer wrong. It's better to be defrauded yourself. It's better than what they're doing. And I, I was sharing with a friend, I won't name the friend. Uh, I agree with him, so I'll take, I'll take responsibility. It doesn't really fit with our preoccupation in this world today of self-care, does it? I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourselves. I am saying a preoccupation with self-care is inconsistent with the solution that Paul says here. 
it would be better for them to be wronged. It would be better for them to take the hit than make the gospel look bad in front of the world. This is the way of the cross. This is going down deep into the truth of the gospel. This is the place where we have to really question whether or not do we really believe the gospel or do we just like the gospel? You see, if you believe the gospel, if you're a Christian, if you're a saint as described here, you should be able to give up your money, your reputation, your personal pride so that other people will see the gospel is real. And I know that's not easy. But if you know you are totally accepted by the God of the universe, if you know that one day you will judge and rule the world and the angels with Jesus Christ himself, you have all the security you need to let the world and other people think you're weak. Maybe even let the world think you are wrong. Because after all, is that not what the world thought of Jesus Christ? We're so busy, worried about our reputation, worried about what other people will think of us. We'll go out into the world and we'll talk to anybody and we'll make sure that everybody knows we're right. And that's not right. We don't have to get our own way. We can lose. And it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to hold one another accountable. Paul, five and six is all about accountability. If people do something wrong, there's a way to deal with it. It's to talk to those people. Excuse me. 